I rolled a seven. Audrey, you rolled a seven. The topic we will be discussing today, as determined by your die roll, is what ideas from other mediums, novels, board games, video games, etc., have you brought into your role-playing games? Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. I am Andy Rao. And this week we are joined by Audrey Huggett. Hello! Hey, welcome back. You've been on this podcast before, so you're a returning veteran. I'm practically an expert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming back on. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so Audrey, we invited you back on because um, Andy and I just uh, ran some games in a con that you put on. Yes! <laughs> thank you so yeah. much for, for doing that. Uh, yeah. We need all the gms we can get <laughs> so. so this is your call for for next time if anyone's listening to this and is yeah. interested um audrey audrey needs you yeah, we, we need that we need to join. GMs. <laughs> so hey audrey do you mind do you mind uh giving us a 30 second rundown just for the benefit of people that weren't listening back when you were a guest in the past what was the con that you ran and and how did it go uh sure so uh, I just ran RPG Fest with my coworker, Christopher. It was kind of like, I guess, like a mini-con, sort of. So basically, all we had at this one was, it ended up being eight tables of games, and people could sign up for one of four one-hour game slots. So the idea was that, like, ideally, if there were not a ton of people, you would get to try a bunch of different games. Or if there were a ton of people, everyone would get to at least do something. Um, and then we also had mini painting going on and like a passive game that turned into like a distraction for the teens. So that was cool. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that's like 10 second or 30 second really quick what it was. And we did our best to have lots of different games because we didn't want it to just be D&D. What, so what possessed you to run a convention at the library? Uh, I like torturing myself. Uh, all of my <laughs> hobbies at some point yes. I go, I hate this. What am I doing? It see like I'd been trying to figure out a way to get RPGs to work in the library for a while. And libraries are weird because every library is different. So in our library, we don't do reservations for any of our programs currently. We might be changing that somewhat in a very limited way in the future. But because we don't do reservations, you can't predict the number of people that will come. But we're also heavily used libraries, so like tip it can be quite a lot. So I was trying to figure out how you could make RPGs work at a program where you have like probably a minimum of 50 people show up. And the only way I could figure out to make it work with like the way that we run programs is to make it big. So yeah. a con was like the only answer <laughs> I could think of. <laughs> yeah, because if you had intentionally tried to keep it small, there's just no way. Yeah, um, you just can't give people like a good experience. So like the only answer I could think of was to go big so that you could fit more people into the space. So what ended up being the scale of the attendance then? Uh, our estimate was about 250 is the number that's sticking in my brain. It may have been a little bit less, but 240 or 250 was what we came up with based that's on like, people sign up and then like how many people did mini painting because some people just came for minis, which all right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a lot of stuff to compare that to, but it seemed like attendance was great. It yeah. was... It felt full, it felt busy, but it definitely, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't bad busy. All the seats in all four of my games were full, which surprised me in a great way. Yeah, um, we we ran out of spots for people to sign up for. It was definitely like a really cool event because everyone had, 
I think an exceptionally good time. Like everyone who was there, like was really enjoying themselves. And like, I didn't hear anyone really complain about anything. I think people were just mostly excited that we were doing it. Yeah. Which is great. It was also an exceptional event because like usually when we do large events, the question you get asked as the runner is like, when are you doing it again? And we kept getting asked, how often do you do this event? <laughs> That's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so next year we're expanding it to run it twice a year. Oh, oh, that's um, awesome. And we're going to make quite a few change not quite a few, but some changes based on feedback. Um, so we're planning on having one in the spring and one in the fall. In the fall one, we're going to make more of like a standard con, or not mm-hmm. standard, but like make it bigger and have more of like stuff going on. Um, so we're hoping to like pull in some more like industry guests and like things like that to like give people other stuff to do while games are going on to kind of take some oh, of the cool. pressure off, like just the games. And see what happens and do like a vendor fair and stuff like that. So like a really small one, but I'm like, you know, there are enough people in town who make game related stuff that mm-hmm. even if you just have like five of them plus Vault of Midnight, that's totally, that's something for them to do. It's a nice full vendor hall yeah. at that point. Yeah. For like a small con. Yeah. We were chatting and I mean, I think there's just, there's like three companies in town that just do dice. Really? Stuff, right. Okay. Like they do dice and other, other <laughs> things. Yeah. So it's like what you have Wormwood and Dogmite yeah. and then um, Gilded who's doing a Kickstarter right. too, which we'll, we'll drop a link to um, in the show notes. But like, it's just like, there's all this activity happening yeah. and it was just really cool to see Ann Arbor at least kind of come out for that. Did you do any polling about were people coming from outside of the city limits we didn't pull people, but I talked to at least I talked to at least two different people that had driven about an hour to come to the event. So we had people mm-hmm. from outside of Ann Arbor coming. Um and outside of Ipsy too. I can't remember what oh, city wow. they said they came from. So I think mostly it was like local people, but for a first time mm-hmm. event, that's not super surprising. Um and then when we grow it, it'll get legs. Yeah, so. yeah for sure. Yeah, well, Andy drove all the way in from Grand Rapids. Yeah, thank it, you, so. Andy. <laughs> you win a D20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got caught up on some podcasts, actually, on the way there and back. So it was a good excuse to uh, get in the car and drive for a little bit. So, Chris, last time we talked, we were both nervously preparing to run games at this con and possibly at subsequent cons. <laughs> so I got to ask, Chris, how did your first public running games for strangers uh, event go? <laughs> It's like like my coming out party. It's like a <laughs> quinceanera. And first, can you remind us what you ran? Because you ran some kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, so I did I did two sessions of D anD D, which ended up being pretty fun. I would say it was kind of chaotic, right? And but in all like a good way. Like the energy was amazing there. And I don't know if this is just true of all cons or or what. But I mean, the people who sat down were excited to be there. They really wanted to try it out. We had at least one person who had never played any D anD D before. Um, in that session. So it was great, right? Like, so we just, um, we went through a little bit of like the initial starter set, starter set encounter. Yeah. And they had a lot of fun with it and they were all just like surprised when the time was up, which was super great. And then the second group, everybody had played before a couple of them, I think had played together even, um, and they had a lot of fun too. We did, we did more of a dungeon dungeon part from the starter set. Yeah. So that was really good. And then we transitioned, I transitioned my table into playing the quiet year um, so the quiet year is a game I like a lot. It's a storytelling game where you kind of, you're telling kind of a shared communal story about a very tough year in a community's existence. 
Um, yeah, so th- that naturally sort of attracted a, a particular kind of player, <laughs> which, which I really like, right? So like, it's very different from dungeon delving, right? So the people who sat down were like invested in telling a story together. Um, but yeah, that ended up being really good. I had to modify the quiet year quite a bit, um, to make it fit in an hour because it, it typically plays in three to four hours. Yeah. Which just wouldn't work, but I wanted to give people sort of a flavor of the whole thing. But yeah, it ended up being quite a bit of fun, both sessions and both sessions kind of went in different directions than I thought they were going to. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I liked it a lot. I got to meet a lot of really interesting, cool people to in the span of four hours. So yeah, it was good. It was exhausting though. I slept a lot the next day. Yep. I believe it. (laughs) Yeah. What about you, Andy? Yeah, I had a similarly good experience. I've run a lot of games over the years, but I have never run like a, a con game for total strangers. So yeah, this was a first for me and it went really well. I ran four one hour games of Numenera, the same scenario each time. So I ran the same scenario four times in a row, which was a super interesting experience. And yeah, it went well. I I, I don't think anyone that showed up at the table had played Numenera before, and only mm-hmm. maybe two people said they had heard of it or were familiar with it. So a little bit more teaching of the rules and going over the basic concepts than maybe I expected, but um, it worked out well. And yeah, it, it was good. Like the, the first game I felt was a little shaky, but then it just took me an hour or two to get to to feel like I had a real good handle on things. And then like the second, third and fourth games went quite well, I thought. So we'll we'll just, we'll never speak of that first game. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't happen. Did anyone leave your table saying, Oh, I'm going to go pick up Numenera and run it. Did you get get that vibe? Yes, they did. It made me, it made me feel so good. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. There was, you know, in the, for the most part, people were like, yeah, thanks. You know, I'm going (laughs) to saunter over and go play D and D or whatever. But, but there was this one uh, couple there that uh, I overheard them because I, I kind of had moved off after the game and was talking to someone else. And they were saying, like, this is really cool. Like, we got we should pick this up. So um, yeah. I don't awesome. know. Uh, I hope that they go out and, and check out the game because it's pretty – I like Numenera. That's why I chose to run it. But, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting at the con. So we chatted with a couple of the, the GMs and just, just knowing them too. Like, everybody who's running those games – wants other people to play them right like that's why you're running it so this is this very interesting like i mean like you're playing a game but you're also very invested in sort of selling the game mm-hmm. to, to other people like at the end of the quiet year i was like oh and go buy it because it's awesome right like yeah you know, <laughs> felt like almost like an hour-long commercial right if you like this you're gonna love the the full thing yeah it's it's interesting right because i think sometimes you go to a convention and you like maybe you're just sort of like consuming something that's there but this felt a little bit more like people were coming to sort of like like try things out to go go take it off to their own groups or take it off to their own lives yeah that's kind of what we had hoped because the other thought was like for people that had heard of role-playing games but never gotten a chance to try it like a four-hour game is like kind of long if it turns out you really hate D &D. (laughs) or whatever you know like obviously we want everyone to love it but it's just not going to be for everybody so like Mm -hmm. The hour-long windows, that was part of the idea, was, like, if it turns out this is not for me, that's it. Like, you can leave. And it, you know, it's not, like, it doesn't become that excruciating session that we've all been in that's, like, super slow. And you're, like, and you're, like, I can't check my phone, but I want to check my phone. You know, like, that doesn't start. And when it's with strangers, (laughs) that's even worse. So, like, that won't happen because you just have, like, 20 minutes left. So you can, Mm -hmm. like, hold hold on for 20 minutes. Twitter will be there later, exactly. unfortunately. But, yeah. yeah, this this kind of reminds me. Yeah, we should bring our topic back into into the conversation too. Um, like, so I think a lot of people 
who want to get into RBGs. And I know this is totally true for me too. They get into it because they had some sort of experience with another medium that's sort of RPG adjacent. Right. So like for me, like I love fantasy novels. Right. So it's like, well, why haven't you played D and D yet? Okay. Well, I should play D and D. That's the, that's kind of how you get into it. Um, yeah. So I guess like, yeah, just open it up to the floor. I guess, are there any kind of specific ideas from other mediums that you've, you've very intentionally brought into the games that you're running? I'll start out with a with a with a not very deep one. Boss battles from video games. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I've taken some ideas from boss battles and video games because I think we've probably all run games of D and D or the like where uh, you have a cool big bad guy or a big enemy, and the players and it, and the fight is just a dud for some reason. Most often, I've found it's easy to underestimate how much damage a group of like five coordinated adventurers can do in a, mm-hmm. in one or two rounds. And so even a really powerful bad guy can go down quick when you have a bunch of like mid-level PCs just alpha striking uh, that boss. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what I've taken from video games, especially things like the Dark Souls, are things like breaking the boss fight into stages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at a point at which the boss like changes its behavior or maybe switches out the powers or abilities it's using, and combining that with putting minions out, minions and other ob- more obstacle type problems out into the battlefield with the boss. So it's not just five PCs surrounding a, like a single boss and just wailing on it until it goes down. Yeah, for sure. I did that once and it worked super well. Um, I had like underestimated how this battle, how badly my heroes were going to like beat up on my snake boss. Um, <laughs> And he had, it was like, he had been gathering the like blood of all of these like murdered victims. So before he died, I was like, well, the, the blood ritual was to like make him into like a god. So like, if you do it earlier, he's just going to like power up. Right. So I just, ha- I like had him activate this thing and he took like, until like all this blood came out of the ceiling and like doused him and it super grossed <laughs> out my players. And then like, I had him be like even stronger oh, and it like great. created this like tension that ended up being super cool. I think it only occurred to me because of like video games where like I've seen that like I've seen that before somewhere where you think the person's mm-hmm. dead and then they're like bah and then they yeah. like yeah. you know go super saiyan instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I will reveal my true yeah, form like, type of stuff, yeah. Exactly. Like I guess I have to get out like I have to get serious now instead of like mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. There was a boss fight I ran un- quite a few years ago and it was a- I was running a game of Pathfinder that PCs had, they beat the final boss. It was like this good fight. And then the final boss's deity that they worshiped was so pleased with how well they had done that it resurrected them on the spot and like gave them some new, you know, cool undead powers. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. I mean, you can, you can be a jerk with it and, but it, you don't want to like be mean to your players, but it could be fun. It's just, it's also just not fun to like have your boss die in like two rounds and then be like, well, yeah. Time to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did it. You saved the world again. Now get out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Yeah, you know, I haven't done a whole a whole lot of this intentionally. I'm positive that I've done it unintentionally in every encounter <laughs> that I, you know I've ever had. Um the a couple 
of months ago, I ran the, like the first part of Horde of the Dragon Queen in a slightly different way from, from written. So the, the way that that's set up is sort of like a, a city under siege and there's, you know, a couple things you can do, you know, throughout the city and stuff. Um, I ended up running it sort of more like, um, running it a little bit like they were kind of just running through the city, kind of like mowing down, like, easy to kill enemies. So we didn't do a whole lot of like fine rolls and combat maneuvers and stuff, right? They were just killing a bunch of kobolds and they were, they were overpowered. Um, so that sort of reminded me a little bit of like almost a first person shooter going into like a, some sort of like war zone and just, just running around and yeah, taking out low level grunts and stuff. Um, that ended up being really fun, like kind of a nice little diversion from D and D where it wasn't this fine combat. It was more like this like group combat. It's like, oh, I do this spell and take out 10 of them. This question, though, does remind me that I played uh, in a game. Kyle Latino was running a Dungeon World campaign um, for a little bit, and he did this interstitial interstitial game where he took an existing board game and we just we played as our characters in that board game. So it was very much like you were playing a board game, but you were playing a character in the game. You were playing sort of like as your character hmm. in that game. And so there's some like interesting role-playing moments that happen throughout that. Um, the game was kind of designed around a, a town going through like a really harsh winter. You know, so you're, you're making decisions about whether to collect wood or like. Was it the quiet year? <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's, it's very similar to the quiet year, <laughs> but yeah, he had adapted it a little bit. So, you know, we could have like everybody who all these characters that wouldn't have had names had names that are associated sort of with, um, with the, the adventure we were playing. But yeah, it was really neat to kind of get a step back and like think about your, your exact same character in a different setting. Yeah. Hmm. How cinematic are your games in the sense that how much do you draw on the language of film when you're GMing a game, when you're voicing NPCs, when you're pacing a plot, when you're describing scenes? Do you self-consciously do cinematic things as a GM? Yes. I love uh, I love having set pieces like that. That's like my, my favorite thing is like, yeah, some sort of set piece that would look really phenomenal if you were watching it. And so trying to describe that as much as possible. Um, this does not go very well with the like five foot squares yeah. <laughs> sort of <Yeah>. concept, <laughs> unfortunately, but yeah, having, having some of that school, I do try to intentionally not use like the language of cameras when I'm describing scenes. So I don't yeah. say like we have a close up on this person and then we like, mm. move out, which I think a lot of GMs do. Because it is a nice shorthand to sort of describe, like, what everybody's seen. Yeah, I find that to be, like, jarring. Um, I think partially because I come to RPGs through, like, fantasy novels, and, like, that's not how, like, mm -hmm. fantasy novels describe things. Like, one game I was playing in, the GM literally was like, Can't, this is kind of like a camera wipe moment, and it was like, all I could think of was Star Wars. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of, like, isn't how I picture stuff. So it, I find it to be jarring when people use that, like, the camera language. But I think mm -hmm. in my brain, the things that I'm describing tend to be kind of cinematic. So that's what I'm trying to, like, get across mm -hmm. with paltry words. I know there's a number of games that explicitly present themselves as emulating sort of like the seasons of a TV show. Mm -hmm. uh, where you have an overarching plot that runs through maybe a dozen game nights. And that the individual adventures are structured kind of like episodes of Star Trek or or whatever. I'm dating myself here. Whatever <laughs> the kids are watching these days, right? If you aren't playing a game that does that explicitly says structure your game like this, do you bring in that sense of like a TV series into your game at all? I think I tried it 
when I like earlier on when I was jamming and it just didn't work for me because then I found myself like imposing the structure mm-hmm. on my game because um, it was like I was like when I was like much young like a much younger GM uh, so I was like reading <laughs> all the internet advice and that really someone was like this really works for me so I tried it and yeah I found it to be like a structure that didn't work for me so when I tried to put it on the game it like the games that I ran based off that got kind of wooden for me instead of like mm-hmm. flowing naturally. Um, but I think that's probably something that like is highly dependent on how you GM too. Would you say you're sort of more of a reactive GM in that like you let the, the players do stuff and then yeah, totally. shape the story? Yeah. I think I told you guys last time, like the weakness of one of my bad guys ended up being like, or like a weakness ended up being smooth jazz because like yeah. a character <laughs> died and like said it. And I was like, that's hilarious. So let's do it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I feel like that's my like single most like characteristic story of like how I GM sometimes. That is a fantastic Achilles, uh, Achilles heel there. Yeah. I mean, it gave them something to do. They like got totally diverted from the like quest objects and spent a lot of time trying to find like suitable jazz instruments. (laughs) (laughs) Were any of them even bards? Nope. (laughs) Not a one. Yeah. Yeah. There's an element from another medium that I am in the process of trying to bring into my role-playing games. So I'm kind of asking you guys for advice here. I don't know if you guys are familiar with video games like uh, the Tomb Raider series or the Uncharted games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a staple of those games, especially Tomb Raider, is exploring dungeons and their big, epic, uh, really visually grand environments that you spend a lot of time jumping and climbing around on. And it's it's difficult to describe here just in conversation. But yeah. when those games get it right, it's a really neat sense of exploration and place. Hmm. And at some point while I was playing one of the recent Tomb Raiders, it dawned on me how unlike that my dungeon delving games were which tended to be these sort of very tactical affairs, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of very slow-paced, very cautious, kind of like a SWAT team, you know, slowly making their way through an underground, you know, yeah. an underground facility or something. And yeah. there is a ton of fun in that. So I'm not, I'm not knocking on mm-hmm. that at all, but it doesn't feel very Indiana Jones, like, you know, yeah. dodging out of the way of the giant um, crushing ball that's, about to smush you, you know, or, or jumping out of the spike trap right before it, it triggers. I would love to somehow inject just a little bit of that Indiana Jones, Laura Croft tomb raiding into like my Dungeons and Dragons tomb mm-hmm. raiding, uh, which is, it feels like a very different beast. Have you, have you guys ever done anything to inject a little bit of that action movie sensibility into your dungeons? I haven't, but like the first thing that sprang to my mind was like, it seems like I haven't played either of the games that you mentioned. So full disclosure there. Um, But (laughs) it seems like maybe one of the things that like is an element to that is like a sense of urgency. So the first thing that jumped to my mind was like, you could probably use like the clocks that um, Blades in the Darkness uses to like push the characters past. Cause I think as like players do that, like SWAT team thing. Cause they're like treating themselves as like a precious thing. But that's also Mm -hmm. like, because you have infinite time. So if you, like, Hmm. cut down on the time, that, like, pushes them through the dungeon faster and, like, makes them make the decision to, like, run recklessly ahead, right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I think as the DM, the other thing you have to do is kind of beat them halfway and maybe have like less monsters in the dungeon, right? That are going to yeah. like, like you can't have like a worm come out of like the, the cavern and like chomp your player as they're like mid jumping. Yeah. Cause that seems unfair. Yeah. yeah. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's some really good advice. Yeah. Uh, it, it brings to mind something else that's in those kinds of games that is hard to get into a, a D and D context is, messing with the environment oh my gosh i've been thinking about this <laughs> yeah so uh, in a video game it you can spend like an hour climbing around ledges and um jumping over jumping over chasms or, and mm-hmm. and solving puzzles by manipulating your environment maybe like pushing a column over to make a bridge or whatever but that stuff is hard to make interesting in D, mm-hmm. which is why i think so many dungeons are just full of fights um, because yeah. I, I think in general, it's just kind of hard to like, it's hard to get people to interact with the environment in a way that's like compelling for more than a couple minutes. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Do you, um, when you're designing dungeons or, you know, running dungeons, do you, you draw up maps beforehand, right? Yes, generally I do. Okay. Have you ever experimented with having like different levels of maps? So I'm, I'm talking like very physically, like you have the, the one on the table and then you somehow suspend a second one above. Hmm above that in some fashion talk to me about why i would be doing that <laughs> so I'm the, reason you, the reason you would do that andy is so <laughs> when you're thinking about tomb raider and uncharted um and full disclosure on my end so I, I do game development on the side so i think about these things in too much right <laughs> so yeah like when you're when you're thinking about like an uncharted level or you know a, a level in tomb raider right there's a lot of sort of like vertical space that's also um that you also sort of orient yourself around as, as well as horizontal space. Most dungeons and like D and D and stuff are very much like on a single plane, right? So you might go up, up and down a stair, um, stairwells, but you're not really like looking up, <laughs> up into a second or third floor, or like you don't really have many chances to sort of like, yeah, to, to traverse sort of those levels. Yeah. So like in, in Tomb Raider, right? There's oftentimes like you sort of see, see a point off in the distance in the map that you want to try to get to. So the goal becomes trying to get there. That's really hard, I think, to translate to like a, you know, a top down sort of 2D map. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking like if you could almost, yeah, give your players that sense of like you're in this spot and you can see kind of looking through these papers that I've stacked on top of each other in this. I don't know. That's up to you to figure out, but mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of see that point. It's like, yeah, how do you, how are you going to get to there? Yeah, that's a great idea. And I think you're totally right that fantasy dungeon delving does not use enough verticality just as a general thing um, mm-hmm. in, in dungeon delving. Yeah, it's hard to make the environment a puzzle in Dungeons & Dragons, partially because of the top-down, but also because mm-hmm. like you're limited by like language. So like the stuff that you as the GM key in as like being there, like you're either like giving them the answer because you have to describe the thing, or you're describing too much. And they're like, mm-hmm. that stone that you described, if I, like, spit on it and, like, knock on it, it'll turn into a yeah. door. So, and you're like, no, no, it was really, nope, okay. It was the yeah. hook, but okay. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, because I the, I guess I was thinking about environments in a slightly different way, but um, mm-hmm. I've been watching The Terror, which is, like, an AMC show that was from last year. Or I've been watching season one, so it was last year. And it's about Captain Franklin's voyage to the Arctic. And these two ships go, it's a real voyage. These two ships go in like mm-hmm. 1850. They're trying to discover the Northwest Passage and then they like disappear. Like they found the ships 
wrecks in like 2014 and 2016. They like disappeared. Whoa. Um, so the show is about the voyage and there's like this supernatural monster element to it. But like the way that they show the Arctic as like a physical presence is so cool. So I've been thinking hmm. about trying to make like, how do you make like survival a real thing in D&D? Because it's on one hand, it's like you get down to like how much like food and water do we have, which is like boring. But like yeah. the, there's so much tension in those like survival stories too. So I've been trying to figure out how you can make that like a real thing in a game. So that's the environment I've been thinking about. Yeah, it, there's so many things in D&D outside of combat yeah. where the only way to really resolve it is just to like roll a die and see if you succeed or not. Yeah. And that, you know, that's not very satisfying. Here you do a two month journey across the continent, roll a die to see if you how it goes. get sick. Yeah, 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 totally. And like, it's, it's also for me as a GM, I'm like, good Lord, I don't want to make you keep track of rations. That's so boring. Because that's, yeah, keeping track of it, like, that's not the interesting part of survival. Like, you're mentioning the, the environment of the Arctic. I would imagine, right, like, there's some just sort of, like, you know, dread of running out of food, right? But there's also, like, the the ice yeah. is shifting or, like, there's a polar bear. Yeah, or, like... well, tri- their ships are literally trapped in the ice. And also, their food, so, like, tinned food was new at the time. They soldered it with mm. lead. So they were eating lead oh. for three years. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's truly yeah. these poor men died horribly um yeah but also it's super interesting to think about for adventure mm-hmm. i wonder if you'd have to knock the like so D right the power level sort of goes up pretty drastically after you know level three or so you know yeah like to the point where like they almost have too many tools at their disposal at that point to survive those sort of things you'd need like a like a, a human simulator yeah because like in D D, you would just summon like the you get the hut spell Right? And yeah, then you would just, yeah. like, sleep in your hut every night. Yeah, and your druid would just keep making yeah, berries. berries for you to eat. Even in the <laughs> Arctic. I think this might be, like, the anti-Audrey campaign, but um, <laughs> there is yeah. a an old Call of Cthulhu, like, mega campaign that involves going to the Arctic or Antarctic. And I guess spoilers for anyone here, <laughs> but this is an old campaign, so I feel okay spoiling it. But, yeah, at the beginning of the game... You are supposed to give your players like a multi-page, uh, like multiple sheets of like the what is on the boat, nope. and the players, if the players do not like go through and say that they're checking the things, then like months later on the adventure, they find that some of the stuff was like mispacked and <laughs> like uh, and missing or stolen or stuff like that. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's like this very long game that the scenario is playing with with you. Although there is a way to make that interesting, right? Because you could have it be like a roll, like check your supplies before you go. And if they roll like an eight, you could be like, looks great. And then three sessions later or whatever, be like, turns out there's lead in your food. (laughs) 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 Or whatever. The food is fine. It's just all of this, uh, it's all this mercury and lead that you're ingesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there, that that just makes me think of, like, because, yeah, I'm not giving anyone three pages of things to read through. Mm-hmm. But you could, like, shorthand that, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you for probably sure. could. I mean, it, it's it's kind of interesting. I, th- I don't think I'd want to play that as part of a long-term campaign, yeah. but as a couple-session-long thing, that could actually be really fun Yeah. to get into sort of the nitty-gritty of, of, of that. Both of you mentioned that fantasy literature 
was like a medium that either brought you to role-playing games or informs your approach to the whole genre. And I'm curious, that's the same, the same is true for me too. Are there fantasy books that you've read that feel like role-playing sessions or that just feel super role-playing adjacent to use the term that Chris used earlier? I often think about, because I think about this just a lot in life, but you know, in terms of role-playing games, I think about the Redwall series a lot. Uh, that was sort of like the series that really got me into reading, first of all, and then also just, yeah, thinking about, you know, fantasy and stuff. For the age that I was, right, reading those, and I would say they still hold up pretty well, but like they, you know, just descriptions of battle and descriptions of the sorts of things they were doing and like heroes and heroines and, and all this were just really phenomenal, right? Like, and so like I think about particular scenes from those books all the time, right? And they're all very formulaic. If you go back and read them now, it's like, oh, there's just a pattern that he's sort of following. And this is probably why, you know, 10-year-old Chris loves <laughs> these so much. But <laughs> that's okay, right? Um, yeah, but, like, I mean, I think, you know, some of that, I hate to say, it, like, yeah, the, like, fantasy novel, like, power fantasies of, like, coming from nothing and then finding out that you're a hero, mm -hmm. right? That's just, like, a very attractive story, yeah, or that you're you're kind of part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. Than that, and I think that maps really well to role playing, right? And like, so I also played a lot of role playing um, video games too, growing up too, like the Final Fantasy series and Chrono Trigger and, and things like that. Yeah, where you you kind of like you watch this progression happen, and that's really satisfying to go through. Um, yeah, I think you can critique that now, like looking back on it and say like maybe that wasn't you know not the best <laughs> the best stories and stuff to tell but like yeah it's it's really cool like, and i think yeah sitting down to do that even you know nowadays and through through dnd &D or whatever is still still great what about you andy so the books that have always seemed to me to be incredibly role-playing friendly are uh, glenn cook's uh, black company novels are you guys familiar with that i've series never read them which okay. feels shocking yeah, i know i know people me. love them I guess you would call it military fantasy, oh, sort okay. of. Um, it has a has a Vietnam like the the author Glenn Cook is a Vietnam vet, and the literature mm. it reads much like uh, Vietnam literature does, like American Vietnam Vietnam War literature does. But what is role playing adjacent in it is the extreme practicality with which the characters in the setting behave in reaction to like the weird and magical stuff in the setting. So to contrast it in like Lord of the Rings, if Bilbo gets like a magic sword and Elrond says, oh, yes, this glows, you know, when orcs are nearby, Bilbo nods and says, that's cool. And nobody asks any more questions because that's all you need. To know. <laughs> but in the Black Company novels, they would take that sword and they would go capture an orc and then they would like test how far... They would walk 10 feet away from it and check if the blade is glowing. <laughs> then they would walk 20. And then they would eventually figure out that the range of this thing is 48 feet. And, so, <laughs> and then they'll incorporate that into their thinking and planning. And that's a very D&D &D yeah. adventuring group sort of practicality. It's like, in Boys. one hand, it's sort of <laughs> like trampling on the, the beauty and wonder of this of a magical artifact. But it's also what I think people people yeah. <laughs> people would do. So. That that always makes me smile reading those books. I I reread them every great now and then, and uh, they feel very Dungeons and Dragons ish. Yeah, I uh, recently it makes me think of that. Make, specifically, kind of makes me think of this book I just read called Trail of Lightning, which is a fantasy book that's relatively recent. It's about um, like this world post apocalypse, um, and specifically about like the people in um, 
uh, I can't remember what tribe it is, but a Native American reservation because like their gods came back after the apocalypse. So like hmm. some people have like tribe powers, but specifically the way the main character went through the story uh, was very D&D player-ish to me because it was like she kind of had this job she was supposed to do and then like she would be going to do it and she would meet someone else and then like they would be like, oh, what about this thing? And she would just kind of like, go along with, like, the thing, and you're like, weren't you? <laughs> like, at some point, they, like, got... I Like, at some point, I was like, D- what happened to the thing you were doing at the beginning of the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, but then in the end, like, it all kind of... It definitely came together. Do recommend that book. But that reminded me of D&D, like, like player behavior specifically, the, like, very distractible, like, <laughs> but I do want to know about these fishmen and not about this thing you spent 10 years planning. So yeah. let's go find out about the fishmen. <laughs> a lot of the fantasy I read, I think also probably to some degree informs like the way I approach role playing too, because like the fantasy I read tends to be more like character driven. So, and like that's the part that's interesting to me about role playing is like the choices that people make. When I get, when I give people magic items in my game, I'm just like, here's all the stats. You don't need to test it. We can pass yeah. this. <laughs> Yeah. But also, it does feel superhuman. I'm going to poke at it until I know how it works. Mm-hmm. Do you guys find that people in your games, that players in your games, use characters from other from books or movies as the basis for their own character? In D&D, like rule books, you'll often see, you'll often see encouragement to think of like your favorite character from a movie or something like that to use as the basis as you create a character. Is that something you see in the wild or not so much? I so one of my character my when players her first character she made she named after one of her favorite comedians um mm-hmm. and like kind of took parts of his personality but not I don't think everything by a long shot it was like an interesting like I hadn't expected her to do that I thought she was going to come up with like a name for it but she used his name everything so <laughs> that's great I don't think I could identify a hundred percent. Like there's, there's no like, yeah, oh, that you're clearly playing that celebrity. Yeah. What I did have started doing, or at least did with the blades in the dark game that we're playing, um, is I had everybody just pick a character portrait and I just said, go out and find like a celebrity or some sort of character, uh, just to give us a sense of sort of like what they look like. And that's been, that's been pretty helpful, I think for like setting the, just characterization sort of tone for them. But then as far as the role playing is concerned, I think people, I think people take on like sort of, they like taking on emotions more than personalities when it comes to their, their characters. What about you, Andy? Have you seen that happen? Occasionally. I mostly, when I was younger, I know I, one of my good friends with whom I did a lot of role playing games over the years based his a very long running character on a specific character from a fantasy series that you guys won't know and and i won't bother going into but and i think even uh i i think he might have even taken the name from that character too and it was interesting it wasn't it wasn't like he was playing like what would this character do in this situation but it was sort of a shorthand for like these are sort of the values and yeah. attitude that i want this character to exhibit and you know it worked it worked well um i've, I've seen that kind of thing once or twice I think that's a really good way to put it because that's how that's kind of what my friend did when she had her character. And I one time considered making a storm barbarian specifically uh, after to like make it after Thor, but like that was what yeah. I was thinking about, like not how the Thor yeah. would react, but like kind of that mm-hmm. ca- sort of character. Yeah. So like, yeah, 
I think by the time people bring their characters to the table, they've like extrapolated far enough that you can't necessarily see like what yeah. they started it from unless they explicitly are like, there it is. One medium we haven't mentioned so far today is comic books, but I bet in most superhero type role playing games, you would see a much closer correlation between like typical PCs <laughs> and like Batman <laughs> you yeah. know, or, yeah. or whoever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's five Batman <laughs> at the table <laughs> when you show up. <laughs> uh, we're going uh, we're going a little long, okay. so we should wrap it up. Um, yeah. I have sort of one final question, then we'll we'll do a wrap up. So, um, thinking about this question has made me just start thinking about like what is the novel or board game or video game that you really want to see made into an RPG? Oh, um, um, sorry. Good. I know. In, I, I like was like oh, I'm gonna think, and then I knew instantly. Uh, N.K. Jameson's Five Five Seasons trilogy, like the magic in that is so cool, but also I don't know how you would ever like translate it. <laughs> I, I've just started reading that. That book is excellent. Yeah, She's amazing. I'm really loving it. What is the magic system? Can you do the twenty second uh, rundown? Because I I know no spoilers, is, yeah, right. but I haven't started reading the books. Um, Chris, you might be better at like the rundown real fast because oh, yeah. I read it like two years ago, three years ago. It was a long time. Yeah, I think the the way that I would describe it, and right, so I'm not like I'm not finished with it. Is um, every the magic is sort of based on like control of earthquakes in it, so control of and suppression of earthquakes. So there is a like the the magic users in that book um, can cause an earthquake such that they could like rip the world apart, or they could suppress everything that's happening. And the the world that they're in has quite a lot of like tectonic activity and <laughs> for better or for worse the really powerful ones can like when before like all the bad stuff went down could like shape i think they could do shaping a little bit oh yeah um mm. yeah so and the like it's they have like a whole society like system built up around the like magic users that's super interesting so it's a very cinematic book or trilogy it's on my reading list. I know I've heard from so many people that it was, uh, it's a good series. I have good series. Yeah. read two of her series now, and I'm going to start the third one soon. Like, because she's written three different series so far. And both of the series I've read have been, like, so good. Highly recommend mm. all of her work. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what really strikes me about, like, yeah, the is it the fifth season? Yeah. I think, yeah. The- R- really, yeah. What really strikes me about that book um, is, like, <laughs> this is going to sound really funny, but like earth magic is often really boring in video games. Yeah. I found like <laughs> it just is for whatever reason. It's like, it's never appealed to me, but this is the first time that I've read sort of a magical system around. Yeah. Like moving earth where I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Yeah, like, for sure. Cause it does kind of like in video games, it comes off as like earthquakes or mm-hmm. like rock shooting the out of the screen. The just rumbling. Yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. super interesting. Whereas like lightning and like water and fire all seem like much cooler so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true uh yeah. the magic system in the other series i read is like death magic and dream magic which is also super cool so like anything okay. by nk jameson would do would pick it up do that. okay <laughs> all right what about you andy the truth is a lot of my favorite books either have been turned into rpgs or somebody has made like a serial numbers filed off version <laughs> of it in RPG form. There's few books out there I can think of that you couldn't run with some combination of systems that are available today. But Mm -hmm. uh, one favorite of mine I would love to see someone take a crack at is uh, Ian Banks's culture setting. Oh, 
there's um, no culture there is no RPG. culture rpg and i'm really only aware of one published rpg and i'm i don't have an encyclopedic knowledge so please if you're listening and you know the perfect rpg for doing ian banks's culture <laughs> series please let us know but uh, i i can hardly think of anyone that has of all the sci-fi rpgs out there that uh, aims at ian banks and if you don't know Ian Banks, it's a super far future society. It's a utopian setting in which the quote, like good guys have godlike levels of technology and all sorts of bonkers, like gonzo, super advanced stuff. Like so a lot of the characters in the books are sentient spaceships. And there's a lot of crazy, like really advanced tech stuff. And I, I can see why that would be a struggle to do in an RPG. But so many sci-fi RPGs, I feel aim at like the the han solo experience which is great i love you know gritty firefly han solo star wars y type stuff but i would love to see something that aims for like that super like hyper advanced like far future stuff where you're almost you just have almost godlike power and the challenges more and the challenges are just different at that scale than like we've got to smuggle some spice past the in the imperial troops you know mm-hmm. which yeah which we've all played <laughs> So yeah, Ian, Ian Banks is a culture series. I'd love to see an RPG that doesn't. Um, so I think my answer to this, uh, it it would be Redwall. However, um, one of our previous guests, Murph, tuned us on to that there actually is sort of like a Redwall <laughs> Red RPG that's out. I can't remember. Oh the my name god, of it. is it Mouse Guard? No, it's uh, Humblewood. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, like Mouse Guard's great, but Humblewood. Which I think they just did a Kickstarter. That's right. We were ooing and aahing yeah. over the art for it. So. Yes. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So we'll drop a link in so people can see this because it's you know I think it only exists as a Kickstarter, but it, it it looks really like way too cute for its own good, but also like just super fun, right? So there's <laughs> the Redwall RPG is coming, um, and I will have to convince everybody to just play that instead. Uh, the other thing that I've thought about, I think Andy, you and I have talked about it not on not on the air as it were before is uh somehow taking the experience of playing like a final fantasy game and making that into a tabletop rpg mm-hmm. and i'm particularly thinking about the more story driven ones so like starting with like 5 and 6 on up there's some sort of you know huge huge story happening i think it'd be really fun to do i have no idea how you pull it off but like have a a big cast of characters so you might have 15 or 20 players in this game too but you have this yeah giant kind of sweeping story and they go from like you know level one nothings to level 99 yeah you know, just doing tons and tons of damage i think it'd be really great i don't know how to do it though yeah i was gonna say the place to start is to look at the damage that every attack does and multiply it by three thousand <laughs> yes then, yeah. yeah that's that's yeah <laughs> so i don't know if this answers your question but it was a thing i was thinking about earlier today which is like it would be cool if you did something like rpg fest where you have a bunch of rpgs going on at the same time but all of the stories are like interconnected so like there's a break between Ooh. each hour session and then like the results mm-hmm. roll forward so like the next group like our session like plays to the like what happened at the last session but if you have it going with all of those and then at the end something crazy happens. So like this is an unformed idea. Like I said, I was thinking about this today because yeah. what do I do but torture myself with like insane ideas that involve like massive <laughs> yeah. numbers of people every single time. But that's yeah. one way that you can do it, right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think Warhammer 40K does this every once in a oh. while where they have like organized play. 
and based on sort of like who is winning statistically uh, like the the next round will sort of shift okay like that um don't quote me on that and i might look this up and just cut this part out but... <laughs> i was wrong <laughs> yeah. don't talk about it <laughs> yeah don't don't but no i love that idea i think that would be super fun i you figure out how to pull it off and we'll play <laughs> My brain probably won't that does re- let me rest at this point. So, yes, yeah. yeah, you have to figure it out. Okay, so Audrey, thank you for coming on. You're uh, it's the last thing we do, right? As you know, is we need to replace the topic ah. that we just talked about. Do you have anything that you're thinking about other than how do you run a game for 200 people that <laughs> evolves <laughs> over the course of the play? or a game in the Arctic? How do you simulate lead? <laughs> or excuse me, t- yeah, lead poisoning. The only thing that occurred to me, but like it might be too real. So, like, feel free mm-hmm. to be like, no, we can't talk about that with anyone. Um, is, like, how you deal with anxiety as a GM. But, oh, like, yeah. again, might be too real. So feel free to be like, we don't go there with our guests. <laughs> oh. No, this is a good one. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Everybody might veto yeah. it as a topic. But I think I think this would be a good one because I know I, I've been thinking about this. It involves vulnerability. That's- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. I think we're going to we're definitely going to add that. We should probably honestly just do like an anxiety month yeah. <laughs> where we would just talk to a bunch of people about it. Probably. Yeah. Cause anecdotally, like every GM I talk to has that moment of like, why am I doing this thing that drives me crazy? But I <laughs> Oh yeah. No, that's a good topic. And uh, hopefully it'll be a really harrowing discussion with some poor, unfortunate <laughs> guest. Yeah. With yeah. my luck, you guys are going to have me on again and I'll be like, oh, and roll my own topic. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. It's me. I've only tricked myself. All right. Well, our time has come to a close. Um, Yeah. Thank you again, Audrey. This was super great. I appreciate you taking time to to do this in your busy schedule. No, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, I think I've said this before. I love talking about D and D and like role playing. So like anytime. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. We'll definitely we'll have you back on again sometime. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Let's see. Before we go, anything to plug? Do you have anything? upcoming at the library that we should mention or talk about or are you going to take a break uh, <laughs> i never sleep um that's not true uh, yes as a matter of fact so on october 26th i have my murder mystery um Ooh, okay. so that's like a q a panel with the murder suspects uh five murder suspects uh this year an artist gets murdered by his own sculpture oh nice. um so that's actually i know it was so much fun to write. Uh, October third, so October twenty sixth, Saturday before Halloween, one to three, downtown library. Um, we'll be having uh, some version of RPG Fest again in the fall in March. I believe it's March twenty first is our tentative okay. date right now. Um, and then my fantasy, family friendly, like layered program is going to be in April but I can't remember okay. the date off the top of my head. Let us know, uh, especially when the April one is coming up. Yeah. We'll, even if you're not on, we'll we'll make sure that, to mention it. And I, I would imagine we'll mention the RPG Fest because we'll be there. So. Yeah, please come again. Um, we have a lot of cool stuff and like ways we're hoping to like, tweak it to make it better for you guys too. Um, yeah, okay. Well, all that. We should say goodnight. So I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rowe. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.